A few weeks ago, I preached uh, about when we came into the green seasons about the uh, lectionary, how it's compiled, what the emphases are for each of the cycles, A, B, and C. We're in year C now, and we have been reading since the beginning of the green season uh, from uh, a different book than Amos. We have been reading from Galatians, and for the last, this is the second week of Colossians, and of course the one constant is the gospel for, the, for year C, which is Luke's gospel. Today in my sermon I want to preach about the tension that exists in the Christian faith and life between the active life and the contemplative life, and these two things have often been misunderstood Paul in Colossians today speaks maybe about one of the predicates uh, that give us some idea of the importance of the active and contemplative life, and that is how do we achieve maturity in Christ. Let me say something first about the epistle to the Colossians or some 3995 biblical scholarship. There are 14 letters in the New Testament that are attributed to Paul. Most biblical scholars say that seven are undoubtedly Pauline, and then there's some dispute about the balance. And perhaps the the two most uh, important disputed uh, letters are ones that there is no consensus about, and those are Colossians and Ephesians. I mention this because my own belief is that both Ephesians and Colossians are Pauline, And it's better to think of it in those terms than in what others refer to as the heirs of Paul. In other words, fidelity to the Pauline tradition in the New Testament. The reason for that is because it's a demonstration that all people can and do go through a process of a maturing of their emotional, spiritual, and mental states if they intend to be intentional about the practice of the Christian faith and life. And so Paul is no different than any of us in his thinking about what it is that he must now reflect on and emphasize for these different communities who have now written to him and are probably asking questions about the pastoral situation on the ground. What is it that's going on in these communities? You know, we originally have a Paul who is uh, uh, believing and saying, you know, let's just sit tight because... Jesus is going to come again any minute, and all these communities are going, well, he's not here yet. So now what do we do? And here are some things that are coming up. You know, should you get married? Can you get divorced? How do we think about uh, the uh, issues of, of the practice of the spiritual life? What is it that we need to do as the community of faith? How do we understand our relationship with the people of the covenant? How do we incorporate Gentiles into a community that was primarily Jewish? What are the things that we're supposed to do in the interim? And so Paul today begins or ends the first chapter by beginning with a hymn that he inserts into the text. That's what we read is the beginning of of what is being read. And then he does a reflection about who we are and what we ought to be doing. 
And one of my favorite lines in the New Testament concludes the reading, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, at one time it was thought, or I think emphasized in a more clerical time, and maybe in some uh, faith traditions that, that are highly clericalized, that, that ye may present everyone mature in Christ meant the clergy at work presenting everybody mature in Christ. And we have come to see that it is the whole of the body of Christ, the community of the baptized, who understand the importance of being instruments of presenting everyone mature in Christ, the improvement of their emotional, spiritual, and mental states, and how we might achieve that, both through direct action in the world and also through the practices of the contemplative life which are going to assist us in this process. And so the idea of Christian maturity has something to do with balance between the active and the contemplative. You know, for the last eight or ten years as a pastor, I've had a number of people speak to me about one of the great difficulties in their life, and that is how do they achieve balance? How do they achieve some species of balance in the midst of a distracted world, of a lot of work, of family obligations, of the desire for leisure time, of the ability to uh, become involved in things they believe are uh, faithful signs of their commitment to the gospel, and being pulled all these different ways, and how do we achieve this sense of balance? And so the gospel for today is the classic Mary and Martha achieving some sense of a balance between the contemplative and the active life. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him, while Martha, the classic over-functioner, is running around getting everything ready for everybody. And you know, the good thing about this story is that it isn't just something that, that happened in the ancient Near East. This happens in every family or in every circumstance and community, doesn't it? Some people overfunction, then they develop resentments behind all that, and they think that the people who are being more reflective or uh, less uh, hyperactive or active uh, are letting the side down. And so we want to ratchet up the, the uh, amount of activity that we engage in. And today... Jesus tells Martha that she is distracted with many things and that Mary has chosen the better part. So it seems to him, or we would hear this, that he prefers what Mary is doing. Now, one of the problems is that this text is often preached on as saying, well, here's another typical example of, you know, housework, which women do mostly as being deprecated, and uh, sitting at the, at, at the Savior's feet is somehow uh, letting the side down, or is not the thing to prefer. When, in fact, it's not either or, it's both and. And in this context, it is entirely possible to say that Mary has chosen the better part. So I want to say something about the difference between the active and the contemplative life because both are necessary, but both have to be understood. I remember when I was in seminary, contemplation, uh, 
in uh, the practice of the spiritual life was generally considered in most of the books that I had to read, which are now old books, had to do with the contemplative life as a very special gift that is given to only a few people, and it is for a specialized group, usually found in monasteries and convents. So along comes somebody like Father Thomas Keating, who, said, who is a Trappist monk, and who said, you know, we have not thought this through clearly because if you read the literature, you'll discover that in the early church when all this began to evolve and we have the creation of the religious life and so forth, we created this sort of specialized group and contemplation was sort of uh, relegated to them in their work when we find out from the literature that it was to be used by everyone and that in fact you could use the contemplative life in the world, in the active life. It is possible to do this and in fact not just possible but necessary. So he starts to write about this in some books, The Ways and the Means, to achieve this kind of contemplative life. And he wrote a couple of books that have been very important to me. One is Open Heart, Open Mind, The Contemplative Dimension of the Gospel, and The Mystery of Christ, The Liturgy as Spiritual Experience. And in Open Heart, Open Mind, he talks about this passage in Luke's Gospel with Mary and Martha, and he refers to action and contemplation as the two evangelical lifestyles. Both important in expressing to the world the power of Jesus Christ at work in the lives of people. And more to the point, the, act, the factor that allows the spirit that we all receive at our baptism. God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us to fulfill the demands of the baptismal covenant and to make a difference in the world. Contemplation is necessary. He talks about the beginning of the process where somebody says, first of all, as Mary was doing, you have to listen and be still. And you then begin the process that he refers to as purity of intention. Purity of intention developed through contemplation brings to action the quality of love. Without contemplative prayer, action easily becomes mechanical, routine, draining, and may lead to burnout. At the very least, it fails to perceive the gold mine that ordinary life contains. Daily life is practice number one for a Christian, but it can cease to be a practice without the discipline of contemplative prayer, the contemplative dimension of the gospel perceives in daily life the treasures of holiness hidden in the most trivial and mundane events. Jesus' statement is a call both to Mary and Martha, not just to Martha. Martha's activity was good. Mary's was better, but neither was good enough. Both needed to move into the union and harmony of the two, which is the contemplative dimension of the gospel. 
I read in the commentary, I wasn't going to read it in my sermon, but there was a fragment, I don't know, and I didn't give attribution here in the sermon, a, 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 a stand or short sentence in an Italian poem that was translated into English about Mary and Martha. Listen, if I sat around on my salvation the way Mary does, who, keeps it, who would keep this house together? <laughs> right? So don't you think that's a, a recurring problem, isn't it, in terms of the way we understand those things? The contemplative life is learning how to be quiet. You know, I read somewhere, I said this last week, uh, some people have said every human being needs to spend at least 20 minutes a day doing nothing. And so the first thing, uh, if, you, if you can say, well, I'm going to do nothing for 20 minutes, then maybe that's the end to the contemplative life. The way you begin to sit in the presence of God and to begin to see uh, the power of how that works. There is some hard science. By the way, I, I want to recommend this. It may appear when you read it a bit exotic, so if you can't make it, I, would, I, I won't uh, think it bad. There's a great book that was written about 15 years ago by a man named Ken Wilbur called The Marriage of Sense and Soul. And his interest, he's a great friend of Thomas Keating and they have a conference every year at Snowmass, Colorado called the Snowmass Conference. And he's very interested in the relationship between science and religion and how the distance that has been created between these two uh, does not help either science or religion. And people who are steadfast religionists of a particular kind who poo-poo the scientific method or don't take it seriously aid and abet the scientists who believe that religion is absolutely useless. And he would say that religion is responsible for more hurt in the world than many other things. But it is the only way we are going to get out of that difficulty if we resolve the tension between science and religion. And I mention this because he says that there now is some hard science about what contemplation does for you. And for people who do this on a regular basis. And what they see is that there becomes a shift towards being mature. You know, one of the definitions of maturity is taking responsibility for your own being and destiny. And if, as you sit in the presence of God, you're able to find the ways and the means to um, mature your emotional, spiritual, and mental states, that's a good thing. Because if we are God's people, and we are God's people in the world, we're supposed to make a difference. We're supposed to have some influence on the course of events. We're supposed to be able to assist in the processes of creating a society where it is easier for people to be good. And so the contemplative way is something that is very important. When you start the process, if you ever do, and you begin to go along, you're going to discover that as you're sitting quietly, a lot of stuff initially is going to come up. 
It's going to come up from, from your past, you know. Some people believe that the things that we went through from infancy to adulthood that have been unresolved are stored in the central nervous system. And so all that stuff comes up when you're sitting quietly. Father Keating says it's like sitting in a beach chair on the edge of the Suez Canal and watching the ships go by at a rapid rate, which are all the thoughts and feelings and everything you've had, and they're all coming up. And he said, it may scare the daylights out of you, but as you become used to this, what you can do when you see all that is to, is to wave it bye-bye. Bye-bye. It can't hurt me anymore. So the contemplative life then prepares the soul for action in the world. It is not either or, but both and. So this week, see if you can take some time uh, to sit quietly or maybe begin by doing nothing for 20 minutes a day. You know? See how that might begin to uh, allow you to move towards the direction. Keating uh, says... The first thing when you're, when you're little, you realize that you exist, it, you. Then you realize there's something outside you, the other, exists. Then if you persist, you discover that you are related to the other, we'll say God. And then as you persist in this and mature in this, what you discover is you and the other are one. We are not God but our true self is God. So this week, see if you can begin the process uh, to move that ye may present every person mature in Christ. Amen. Amen.